0: This is a Wild Apes Production Podcast. Welcome to the D&D World. Meet you by the art room door In a circle on the hallway floor I made up a new map last night Got a dragon and a wizard fight.
1: I'm up to 55 different rooms. That just seems like way too much work that I don't want to do. Uh, and I'm trying to, like, make this a
2: way for me to be lazy. So I think I'm just going to use random encounter tables. You're going to fill your mega dungeon with random encounter tables, or you're going to use random encounter t- tables to fill your mega dungeon on the fly?
1: I'm going to use random encounter tables to fill my mega dungeon on the fly. I've also thought about using, like, the the tables from um, the 1EDMG for, like, mm. f- random furnishings and stuff. But at that and point, de- it's, it is just a big graph map, right? Yeah, that's all it is. That's I have, good. like, ideas for, like, here's where this specific trap is, or here's where, like, this other specific trap is. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's, that's the most amount of planning I've done for it. But this is... Still not the Mega Dungeon episode. Uh, This is the Saber Eye Podcast. The podcast about classic dungeons and dragons. I am one of your hosts, Crispy. And I'm one of your hosts, Carl. And I'm one of your hosts, Courtney. And we have a special guest today. Uh, Our special guest today is uh, kind of like a... I I think... I don't think... I get the impression that he takes it with a grain of salt. But I think a pretty big deal on the OSR. We have uh, Swords and Wizardry
2: author creator uh matt finch with us hey everybody for the first time right is this the first time you've been on save or die
0: this is indeed the first time i've been on it and you know which you should know because i had to ask for the technical details on how to get connected to the call (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it was different uh with previous hosts (laughs) in like 10 years
1: we haven't had you on the show once not once oh man Sorry, everyone else <laughs> dropped the ball, but we're here to rectify that.
3: Obviously waiting on the coolest host.
1: <laughs> Probably. We were waiting for Courtney. <laughs> oh,
3: I was I was clumping all three of us in together. I wasn't trying to single myself out, but no, sure, if you I want to. I thought you said
1: host singular. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Yeah, Courtney's probably the coolest out of all three of us. And uh today we've got Matt on the show to talk about the upcoming uh Swords and Wizardry complete uh box set Kickstarter that is running right now. That has already been funded. You guys are fifty two thousand dollars right now.
0: Yeah, the first the first day of it was uh was a wild ride. I mean, we were we were expecting that the entire Kickstarter would bring in about forty thousand dollars, and before we were done with with uh, the first twenty four hours, we hit uh, we hit that mark. So, well, in the first wow. twenty four hours, we actually hit fifty thousand. So it slowed wow. down. It slowed down now. At last, did it launch yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. Yesterday. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah Thirty four days to go. It's so funny, like, so talking about previous hosts, that's a name drop, I guess, but the way I've been getting to the Kickstarter to check it out is by going to Liz's page on Facebook. Huh. Cause I like I'll Google like Frog God Games Kickstarter, Source and Wizard Kickstarter, Matt Finch Kickstarter, and it never comes up. But I, so I just go directly to Liz's page because I saw her post about it, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's the easiest way for me to do it, I guess.
0: It's it's more embarrassing that I have to use my own Facebook timeline to get to it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, previous hosts again, I usually uh, find it through Tinkar's posts, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> We're one big happy OSR family Absolutely Matt do you want to tell us a little bit about the Kickstarter uh,
0: Well yeah um, Or we could talk about Swords and Wizardry first Depending on whether people are familiar with that In the first place Either way uh, I would love to talk about Swords and Wizardry
1: I don't know if you remember this But the first time we reviewed Swords and Wizardry On the show Way back in 2010 or 2011 for which uh, you, didn't, you didn't invite me I know I know look Don't other people say, were running I'm, the show at that point you know? he's gonna
3: it's... keep dropping that throughout the whole show
1: <laughs> yeah
0: you gave me something
1: to cling on to with that <laughs> oh it only took you 10 years um but I was the one leading the charge on that show and I was like such a fanboy. <laughs> like I I remember like uh it was at neon con is when I first got a copy of swords and wizardry um I believe, I don't remember her name. I I had her card for the longest time, but I believe she was the head of publishing or the head of marketing had come Rachel Ventura, Hmm? probably it might've been, she's running for for Congress now. Oh, Oh, wow. wow. That's crazy. But yeah, she had sold me a book of the, the first printing of the complete, uh, book and I've read it and I was like, this is great. This is awesome. And uh, I still, there are still things that I really love about it, but let's go ahead and uh, if, if you want to give us an elevator pitch on what swords and wizardry, do you want to stick specifically to complete since that's what the Kickstarter is about? Or do you want to talk about like the whole swords and wizardry line?
0: We can talk about the whole swords and wizardry line because, you know, really it confuses a lot of people, um, but the there's the white box. Um, well, actually in, in, in chronology, there's core, there's swords and wizardry core. Um, which is the snapshot of what I was playing at that time, which was the, the original three books from the box set plus the Greyhawk supplement uh, because that one was sort of a watershed. It was when the different die types other than just the D20 and the D6 started showing up in the, uh, for example, the hit dice for the character classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went to a, a an eight-sided die for hit dice on monsters. And the spread of numbers, I, to my mind, got a lot easier Uh, with with that one just from the dm's perspective and um so that was the first one that came out and uh then i got a lot of requests to do the uh the white box and that one um was a cooperative venture um with uh with with marv and um you know he sort of took the core book and worked in white box because i've never really been a white box player and usually with these different um they're not so much additions really but you know the the various divisions of the uh of the rules somebody who actually plays it is going to do a lot better job of capturing it than somebody who who just worked with the framework of it um and and so uh marv bragg did the Mm -hmm. um Uh, the white box version. And so white box is just the first three books Mm -hmm. that were in the set without any of the supplements. Um, And and then um, last of all came complete, which is it's the three books that are in the set plus the four supplements that came out after that plus um, articles from the strategic review and from the early uh, issues of the dragon magazine that, um, Contain things like the Ranger that that all worked in, so that it was a a you know a complete uh, sort of picture of the full range of what OD&D became, right up to the point when TSR released uh, first edition or Advanced D&D. So. Um, it's sort of the whole spread of, of, of 1974 all the way through 1978. So, you know, that's, and that's the one that, that frog God is supporting. I left, uh, white box really to be a fan, um, generated source of support, uh, because I, I really felt like, um, and, and I wasn't getting too corporate, but I was—you uh, know—the things that I was writing were sort of dominating um, things just because I was the, you know, official author of it, and that was not what I wanted to see. I really wanted to see more of a community. So that's the summary. That's the summary on the on the three different versions of it.
2: That's really interesting to me that that white box was requested uh, because you know we see these kind of like sweeping. I guess, dichotomies between what people think of as pure D&D and not pure D&D. And that line is different for everybody. But for some people, it's like when they added thieves, they added thieves, they ruined D&D. <laughs> like, it goes that I, far back. Yeah, I'm does. not not
1: of that mindset, <laughs> though.
0: It definitely changes the game a bit when you add thieves. Um, yeah, right. And we were we were talking about the difference between a retro clone and a simulacrum game, mm-hmm. which I, I think is, um, uh, you know, sort of different for everybody. But, you know, the, I was just saying that the clones um, were, were generally intended to just replicate the original rules via the uh, the SRD that was out there, mm-hmm. allowing you to do it legally and that. You know, the the authors really were trying to avoid adding in their own house rules and things like that. Whereas in the simulacrum games, people were um, they were usually working in a few different rules, but their objective was still to duplicate the feel of a game. So, for mm-hmm. example, Castles and Crusades, um, I think, very accurately duplicates the, uh, uh, the the type of play that most people actually did with advanced d d back mm-hmm. in the day. Um because people did tend to play a more stripped-down version, especially the people who had started with the the home basics set, for example. And then what happened was you just added in the character classes, but uh, you know the rules often stayed pretty much the way you'd been doing them. So
2: when I was playing AD and D as a kid, we didn't use almost half the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: in an AD and D game now, and like the the one rule that I never have known anyone to ever use it is the, like, modifiers to attack versus for specific weapons versus specific armor.
0: Mm-hmm. And speed factors. Weapons and speed, and speed factors. factors.
1: Yeah, I've never used those when playing AD&D, and I've never played with anyone else who, you know, I'm young, so, like, uh, people who grew up playing first edition, none of them ever use
2: those rules either. Are you guys oh, using segments? No. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I didn't use those as a kid. I've played in a few AD and D games that use segments since then, and and it's it's weird. <laughs> I've done like
1: D10 initiative, and then your initiative role, I guess, would be your
0: segment. But mm-hmm. yeah, well, um, actually, you use a D6. Um, let me let me totally nerd out here. I mean, you use a D6 to find out which segment the uh, the opponents are going to go in, and. Uh, and then the spells. Some of the spells will carry you beyond segment number six out of a ten segment round.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, hmm. that is not how I've used segments in the past. Interesting. And there's, and there's also, you know, dis- there's also the uh, the discussion about uh, whether the magic user has to just dis- has to uh, announce what spells they're casting at the top of the round. And that's uh, there's actually ambiguity in the DMG mm-hmm. about that. Yeah,
2: that, the segments really uh, kind of muck about with the magic user a bit. It's a lot easier to, to cast on your on your go <laughs> than to have to plan ahead and know how many segments your spill is going to take and what could change between now and then.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely an additional tactical element that's involved in it.
2: Yeah, which like... Is- interesting but also sometimes frustrating especially when you're used to loosey-goosey classic bx type of (laughs) game that i play
1: yeah it's uh it's not for me i i (laughs) definitely like the older i guess not older i guess technically not older but i like the uh more simplified just side initiative d6
0: versus d6 Mm mm-hmm
2: well, and that's purely an AD&D thing, right? Segments never existed in OD&D. Is that correct? Uh,
0: not not once you hit the Eldritch Wizardry supplement where Rob Kuntz um, did write a uh, an initiative system that was divided into segments. Um, it was done differently than it was in AD&D. It's not a method that I'm really... Um, fond of because I think it it actually works out to be clunkier than the ad system and so probably what they did was to uh, to streamline that for ad and they, they obviously made you know lots of changes um, and uh, so in 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 that system it, it did bring in the issue of uh, what level spell you were casting and so there's there's a lot that's in common but yeah there was there was technically one although it came in in relatively late od the first uh, one um you know like I, I, I said during the technical difficulties was is that gary was a businessman and so he tried to link and cross sell the two products by telling people to use the initiative system from Chainmail. Mm-hmm. but the problem is that since Chainmail is a mass combat system it had divisions between different types of troops um it had a split initiative for missile fire and it it just doesn't it, it doesn't work very very well in the in the uh in the small unit, if you think of AD and D as being small unit combat, mm-hmm. uh, it just doesn't work particularly well in that kind of tactical format.
1: I actually wanted to pick your brain um, about that because uh, I know Swords and Wizardry Complete is, you know, the the three little brown books and then all the other supplements, but it's what was your thought process for what you actually included from those other supplements? Because there are things that, you know, are missing. Um, Like, specifically in Supplement 2, there's a table... (laughs) I hate this table. Uh, There's a table for attack roll modifiers uh, against different heights, and, like, depending on what weapon you're using. And, like, that's not in Swords and Wizardry Complete. So I wanted to, like, pick your brain about... When you were creating the game, how did you weight things to add from supplements, and and then, you know, what things to leave out altogether?
0: Well, for the we're actually into the the legal context on that. You know, the 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 one area where I'll claim to be an actual innovator in this stuff is that the. Uh, I was the the person who came up with the 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 fact that you could get into the old systems via the parts of them that were duplicated in the system reference document for third edition, hmm. and so uh, and and also keeping in mind that this is back when people still remembered the highly litigious TSR of the 90s, and so there was a lot of um, concern about people getting sued over doing the the retroclone approach. In fact, when we wrote um osric um back in 2005 2006 i mean we were relatively sure that we were going to be sued by wizards of the coast um and we we even did get a a a message from them asking us to take it down for 24 hours and and Stuart marshall um well he said no (laughs) that was a, a, a pretty ballsy move on his part um and we went back and forth, and the, the person that we were talking to really didn't, they, they, he was still thinking in terms of the D20 license rather than the OGL. Um, and, and I'm now I'm even into the jargon, so sorry about that. Uh, but the, so the, the main rubric that I used for uh, cutting things out was because there was no, um, there was nothing in the SRD that would support that in terms of protection from violating copyright and so for example there is an illusionist class in the strategic review but it's nothing like the illusionist uh class that ended up in the srd well i mean there is no illusionist class but it it didn't end up uh with with enough in common with the srd that we felt uh like we wouldn't be violating copyright law if we um if we took that stuff out of the strategic review and put it into uh swords and wizardry similarly a height table is is not something that's really reflected in the srd that's really interesting i never knew because i know
1: the the ogl is what allowed people to take these old rules and publish them because you can't can't copyright math is like the watered down explanation for it but i didn't know it had to be you had to take things that were specifically in the srd and you know obviously you're looking at how those aspects of the game played in the 70s right uh versus you know the the 2000s d20 model that's really interesting that that's the criteria that you had to go off of
0: right because it's not just the issue of the fact that rules can't be copyrighted because what can be copyrighted is the presentation of rules and mm-hmm. so there there are some different uh, it uses different tabular formats um than the ones that were used in the original books in a lot of cases because you can copyright format um and and so the you know the the protective shield that's provided by the uh by the ogl it goes through the srd the the ogl is just something that unlocks the open game content that's in the srd you still have to be relying on the srd or somebody else's open game content before you can um, duplicate that presentation so and that's probably a lot deeper into it than most people are interested in hearing about but you know that's that's the that's the way it works and so that's the reason that there are some things um you know most notably the illusionists that are simply missing from from o d d I mean I mean from, uh, swords and sorcery
1: It's a good point that it probably is deeper than what most people would care about. But like, I think for a future for a future episode, I think we should have some like retro clone authors talk about that process. That is super interesting to me, just as someone who like, you know, likes game books and likes game rules, the mindset for how you have to like skirt around legally, you know, the copyright.
2: That's so cool. That's really interesting. We'd like to take a brief moment to uh, explain we're not giving anybody any legal advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> You're on your own. I'm not listener. a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and and I am a lawyer, which makes it even more important that I say that I'm not giving anybody legal advice. I can, I can discuss in, in general what the the rules are, but I can't tailor anything to anyone's specific uh, situation. So, and you know, I'm... And, the, the you know law uh, uh, bar bar associations are very much like medieval guilds, and um, I. When I retired from doing law, I quit paying them the the 200 bucks a year or whatever it is to to practice law, which means that I can actually do less in the way of practicing <laughs> law than any random individual on the street because I have not paid my dues to the Bar Association and yet have a law degree and they frown on, why, on not
1: Why me. have we waited 10 years to have you on the show? Like, I never knew <laughs> that about you. That's fascinating.
2: <laughs> well, so we talked a little bit about Segments being in OD&D and the Illusionist and and all these other things, I I find it genuinely surprising. Once I started digging back into all these additions, how close OD&D is to AD&D once you've added all the supplemental material. They're almost you the have
1: <laughs> you have uh to me. I don't know if it's on the show, but in in our own private conversations referred to source of mystery complete as A D D light or OD with supplements as AD and D light. That's,
0: that's not, that's not wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was brought up to um, really the, the, the same scope that AD covered. It's just that most people don't see it in its totality, partly because it was a whole series of books and magazine articles and it was all in mm-hmm. different places. But when you, when you do put it all together, like in Swords and Wizardry Complete, you realize that, yeah, it's, it was about the same size. The, the AD&D books were, um, in some cases, a reimagining, uh, you know, for example, the the three alignment system from OD&D was changed into the nine point mm-hmm. alignment system. And, um, you know, again, like the initiative system that uh, Rob had come up with was streamlined um, to work more quickly. And, but you know but yeah no you're exactly right i mean it it had reached the same sort of outer limits that advanced D&D did
2: i i have one question more about swords and wizardry and yeah that is single saving
1: throw man i was going to bring up single saves as well like <laughs> i i was thinking about it
0: and and once again what you're looking at there is a legal issue because the uh, if you recall, the saving throw system that was in place in the SRD at that time was a, it was the three saving throw mm-hmm. model. Um, the the uh, what was a Dex Constitution and um, Fort Reflex and Will. Right, Fort Re- Reflex and Will. That's what it was. And so, uh, at that point, we didn't have anything that could really be legally used to model the original D and D system, which is you know similar to um, the one that's used in AD and D. Uh, which has all of the different categories, and those categories are fairly quirky if you mm-hmm. if you think about it and so um, you know they they really matched up to a, a, the relatively limited number of spells that came out in the white box, and they put those into kind of categories of uh, you know turning to stone and so on and um, so not having something that we could rely on for the legal protection, what we did was uh, and also the fact that you can copyright formats, what we did was we um, Turned that into a single saving throw, but the numbers are, are altered by bonuses for the different classes, mm-hmm. and that allows you to approximate the numbers that you would get mm-hmm. by using mm-hmm. those original tables. And so it, it's um, it is technically a single saving throw, but because of those various class bonuses to it, um, it is not really a single saving throw. It's it, so if if that makes any sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, and because it's modified based off what you might be saving against, like dwarves getting a bonus versus poison. But um are you aware of the TSR product that had single saving throw in it? No. Yeah, there's a there is a um First Quest was the name of it. That is it's the one that came with the CD. Uh-huh. Uh, that simplified AD&D system had single saving throw.
0: And there's no one no one has ever mentioned that and it's not it's not something that I stumbled across, you know, back in the day.
2: Yeah, it's because nobody actually played that.
0: <laughs> okay, fair, fair Just, enough. So it's like... threw the CD
2: th- in and listened to it and said, hmm, that's cool. So it was the precursor to fourth <laughs> edition. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen this product. I don't think I've ever even seen this product. It, it's one that had, like, you would play part of the adventure and then you would play a track of a CD and it would, like, radio play out that part of the adventure for you. Very that was
0: tight. the 90s. Ni- uh, that was that was the nineties, all right. Yeah.
2: TSR was trying all sorts of stuff. <laughs> VHS tapes and CDs and
0: <laughs> I was six years
2: old.
1: <laughs> I was in first grade. Thanks
2: for that. <laughs> I just heard a bunch of our listeners log off the <laughs> Oh man. Well, okay. Let's let's go ahead and jump into the Kickstarter itself now, and uh, okay. this this new release for Swords and Wizardry. Yeah, I like that it's a box set. I'm a big fan of box sets because I know previously
1: there have been like Swords and Wizardry white box box sets. I think uh, Brave Halfling published them.
0: Brave Halfling did it. Um, I I licensed it to them, and uh, and and they did a, a very very good um, white box version and. Um, those are actually, it's kind of funny because they're like 200 bucks on eBay right now.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I missed my chance to get it. And much like the reprint of the original edition that Wizards did, it is now way too expensive for me to justify buying. Is it going to be like an A5 format
0: or like a digest size format? It's digest size format, okay. yeah. Yep. so it's it's going to be four books originally the plan was to do saddle stitching uh, which is stapling to anyone who's not familiar with it it's uh you know because i like those because they lay they will lay flat mm-hmm. and as long as you've got a book to put them in they won't try and climb right out of your bookcase every time that you pull out some other book um but we're, we're going to have to go with perfect bound because the um largely because the player book in, in order to have the the good sort of um uh Sense making division between the books so that they're at their most usable. The player book ends up being too long to be um, stapled at the middle because obviously, you know, there's a certain size at which stuff just doesn't work when you're stapled. Yeah. It. So, um, so they're going to be they're going to be perfect bound books. In other words, just regular soft cover type books in there. And um, oh, you know, also with the stretch goals because it 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 took off unbelievably i mean we we expected that the whole kickstarter would probably raise you know forty forty five thousand dollars and we broke that within the first we broke over 40 in the first 24 hours it was while i was doing a, a discord chat you know that night um that, that we crossed over the line of where we thought the entire kickstarter would do over the entire length of it so i mean it was um unbelievable response it has it slowed down a little bit now um you know, we're, we're through the early bird discounts that we had on there. Um, and so it has, you know, thank gosh, slowed down a little bit because I was doing, I would like put in the graphic for the stretch goal. Then I would write the update for the stretch goal. I would answer two messages on Facebook. I would check where we were and I'd be like, okay, let's start this cycle again. Let me put up the new stretch goal. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a a, a wild, wild day yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: Kickstarters are always very, very stressful. My uh, my best friend has done two successfully funded Kickstarters to for video games that he's created, and uh, I remember the first one he did, he was he was stressed
0: out about it. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, it's it's because, you know, even even people, you know, who are being totally nice or posing lots and lots of questions and half of them are questions, you know, that you had not thought of, uh, you know, when you did stuff ahead of time and you're all of a sudden having to stop and think in the middle of this, you know, unbelievable level of activity. And it's hard to think when you're stressed out, and when you've got lots of people asking questions and putting up graphics and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, running, running a Kickstarter is, um, is, it's quite an experience when you're, when you're doing it. And fortunately we had, um, you know, several people who were helping to monitor, you know, when we had somebody asking a question in the comments and, um, you know, sharing—you know—the—the—the—the the, the, uh, the marketing side of it, of sharing it on Facebook, and people are tweeting, and um, you know that sort of thing. So, you know, it, it is helpful to have multiple people working on that. But it was quite something. So,
2: what was the impetus to go back, or not go back, I guess, but go to a box set from from a single
0: volume? Uh, well, I mean, the first thing is that we were running out of the books, and so we were—we uh, had the choice between doing a reprint of a book that was really designed, you know, back in 2010, I think it was. And so it was entirely black and white. And, um, and, and, uh, so rather than reprint that, we thought, you know, what's cool because we don't do different editions. There's, you know, it's a, it's a clone of an original game. And, um, you know, so anything that you try and add to it is fake, you know, basically mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to add, um, you know, optional stuff in some supplements. So we are going to start doing some supplements to it, but really the, the, the core element of it, um, has pretty much by definition got to stay the same. So we don't do new additions. Um, and we, you know, we've wanted to do a box set for ages and ages, but box sets are really expensive and really high risk. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you've got to bring in enough people to do it. Um, they're very labor intensive and unless you have somebody else putting them together which can absolutely kill you because if you have a really huge response to it, just you know putting stuff into boxes takes lots and lots of time when you're trying to fulfill a Kickstarter. So box sets have a lot of challenges to them that don't exist with books. I mean with a book you're just working with a printer, nobody else but if you're putting in dice you know and, and things like that and you're do and you're assembling it yourself, um, you're relying on all of those suppliers to get you the right stuff at the right time, put it together. Um, and so we you know we wanted to do one. Um, we didn't quite have the the guts to do it until this one and um, it, I think it's really it's come together really, really well, I think, but you know certainly there is a box that is fraught with peril so. Oh, but we so so we you know we just we figured it would be cool to to come out with a box <laughs> with a cool. box set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the,
2: the early uh, tagline for the show
0: was, uh, "If it comes in a box, we'll talk about it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, that's you know that that's bottom line. Really, is you know, uh, boxes are cool, just like dice are cool. Yes, and uh, I've
1: I've got an ever growing collection of both. <laughs> Just different box set Kickstarters that come out. I'm just like, yeah, all right, well... Yeah, well, based
2: on your earlier comment, I suspect I've got dice that are older than you are. (laughs) Uh, Probably, yeah. I have dice that are older than I am, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. He does. (laughs) I'm I'm not as Um, young as Crispy, but I'm not
1: not that old. (laughs) The new world order of young OSR people.
0: (laughs) Well, Um, the thing is that my original... Uh, You know, you hear everybody talk about those crappy plastic dice that came with the original basic set. Um, And it's even, you know, talking about people getting specific, it's even a point of pride that you got the dice rather than the little chits that they did when they ran out of dice for a while. But uh, they, they become just round after a while because the plastic wears away as they're rolled. But I don't have mine. If I did... I would probably have some that were older than Carl as well. But I, I think <laughs> since I lost that that set of dice, I, I think I'm restricted to having dice older than uh, Crispy. Um,
1: I did want to ask about uh, – because there have been two, like, quote-unquote printings of Swords and Wizardry complete. I mean, there's probably been more printings, but there's the blue cover and the black cover.
0: Yep, and then there and- was a, a greenish cover even before that. Really? And then we've got another one that's sort of a black cover, um, that we did after that one. And those, we, we don't have any more of those. So, um, the, the, the books that we're running out of are actually the prior printing, um, which, which I can tell you the reason for that. It is because Bill Webb is not good at keeping track of inventory. And we (laughs) had, uh, uh, we had boxes of those that had been stored in Paizo's warehouse because they were the, uh, the distributor. Uh, they, were, they were doing the distribution stuff for us. And so um, when we um, ended that, they sent back this box that had an enormous number of the Arrow Lotus covers in it that we didn't know that we'd had. So, um, you know, we would have been doing this box set even earlier if we'd never found those. Oh, wow. I wanted to ask about the
1: production for these books. I know they're going to be uh, perfect bound. Are they going to have... Um are they hard or soft cover soft cover soft cover and then uh what about the you know talking about the you guys don't do editions, uh but the older books are you know like you said they're all black and white are you going to be updating that or are you going to do are you guys going to go like full watsy glossy paper full color illustrations
0: no it, we're we're we are going to do it in color um most of the art that we are doing is um it's all it's it's all going to be new art unless we're like at the last minute we suddenly need a picture of a goblin and we have to grab something you know from the older ones Mm -hmm. but it's all going to be new art it's going to obviously be new layout because we're shifting to a digest size um, which has a different aspect ratio than uh, than letter size paper and um, the the art that we're um, getting in is going to be Black and white, but it's going to involve sort of splashes of color here and there. I, I don't know if you've seen uh, Red and Pleasant Land. There are a few other artists that did things this way where, like, you'd have somebody where the whole picture was black and white, but like the cape that somebody yeah, got. Yeah. That's not, that's not an exact thing because it was done uh, with more than one color. And what we're looking at is, is really just a combination of two colors showing up in them. Because the thing is that, you know, the, the aesthetically, Um, a a lot of this black and white art is sort of, um, decried as being just nostalgia by the, you know, the old, you know, 40s and 50 year old, you know, ponytail, great big beard kind of gamers. And, um, and the thing is, it's, it's not that there, there really is a different aesthetic to, to black and white art. And yes. it creates a different feel mm-hmm. when you're looking at a book. I mean, the the thing about the black and white book is that you feel like you're sort of reading something um, in the campaign, you know, almost, almost as if you're uh, one of the people who's in the world reading it, except for there are these rules things in there. Um, but, you know, reading a monster manual is a lot like reading a medieval bestiary, the the black and white ones. And so mm-hmm. it puts you into it in a very different way than color, color, um in, in color, you're directly viewing what a world looks like. And so it's like you're you are a, a whole step closer to being in that world, when you're looking at something that's got color illustrations and you're a step back when you're looking at the black and white art. And so there really is a different aesthetic to it. and it's one that we want to maintain, but um, one of the, I, but you know, for example, one of the things that people assume now when they look at black and white art is that you did it so that it would be cheaper. Uh, which is, you know, not what we're doing. We're doing it because we really like the, um, the effect that the black and white art has. And so these, having these two colors is something that will, it will, first of all, you know, eliminate the idea that this is being done, you know, just because it's cheap, you know, because it's clearly, uh, it is color art that's in there. You know, we've, we've, uh, gone to the expense of the additional color, um, and and I I think that that also spins something new into the the pure black and white. It, it has a lot of punch to it when you've got that sort of combination of things going on.
1: Let me say, as an almost thirty-two-year-old child, um, I definitely do agree with you. There, there is a just a distinct feel uh, aesthetically of you know older D D manuals like the Monster Manual. You know, if you look at like. A little, The little doodle of, like, the Rust Monster. That's a completely different look and feel than this super highly polished uh, digital art version that perfectly, like, encapsulates the pop-cultural zeitgeist view of what a Rust Monster is. And, like, I, I, I don't think it's just for nostalgia. Uh, because I don't... I can't have nostalgia for these things. <laughs> I wasn't alive when they were new you know they were 20 years old by the time i was born 10 years old i guess by the time i was born so yeah like i there's no nostalgia there i just i like the look and feel of the art of these older books so i just wanted to
2: agree with you there part of it's just the amount of information your brain is receiving if it's Mm -hmm. black and white you're you're expected to fill in some information on your own and that in and of itself has a charming aspect you know it's the difference between reading a book and watching a movie, filling in those images, deciding what colors you are you you would perceive if you were actually seeing this in real life. part of that has a merit,
0: yeah, and that kind of throws in an interesting thing about um dming skills, which I know is way off the the track of what we're trying to talk about here, but the uh um there are a lot of beginning dms who are you know and and it's because they're watching critical role and they're you know reading long um box text that's written in the more modern books but they feel like they have to uh that when they're at the game table they have to uh describe things in considerable detail and i think it's a lot more powerful to describe things in pretty general terms reason being yes that the people who are hearing that are going to fill it in just like we were talking about with the black and white art they're going to fill it in with their own minds which means that there's a lot less chance to sort of trip over the curb mm-hmm. in, in in terms of them visualizing things they're going to get a much cooler um uh, you know, more powerful visual image from the less specific descriptions than they will from the very specific descriptions. I have a
1: story about this. In my last <laughs> BX game, uh they were in the sewers of like the city they're in, and the city was like the sewers were built adjacent to like the Archwizard's laboratory. Um and some of that magic had seeped in, and there was actually an underground botanical garden just in the middle of these sewers with like in, like, an antechamber. And, uh, you know, I just described I was just like, it's a, it's a botanical garden. Because in my mind, I have a very specific image of what a botanical garden is. And I feel like if I say botanical garden to you guys, you will have a similar but yet wholly unique idea of what a botanical garden pertains to. I had a player... <laughs> He's a very nice guy, but I do think he wants a little more detail than I wanted to give where he was like trying to like ask such specific details. How high are the shrubs? What kind of trees are they fruit bearing? blah blah blah. Um it's sort of like when you start adding in those like very specific details, it detracts from everyone else's imagining.
3: So I've always said that I wish we could um, hook wires up to our brains while we're playing a and d game and record those images that everyone uh, thinks of in their mind when they're playing Theater of the Mind, and then after the fact, go back and watch everybody's videos to see like what they saw at that time and how it compares to what you saw at that time. So I just think that would be cool to see what everybody else was imagining at the same
1: time. Yeah.
0: One of the but fun like, things we did when I was running the uh, the online campaigns with... Swords
1: people, of Jordoba.
0: Swords of Jordoba, yeah. Of, we uh, um, had a couple of things where people talked about them afterwards, and we realized that every one of the players sees themselves as the hero <laughs> of the adventure. And so mm-hmm. when they are retold, you can get some very different stories about what actually happened in the adventure, which was a really, that was a lot of fun to, to, to do. Yeah,
1: one of my favorite things to do after games, way back in the day, was that uh, we would always end up at like a Denny's or an In-N-Out burger, <laughs> and just stay there till 3am just talking about the game that we had just played, Um and just re- like recount to each other how we viewed specific moments, and just like getting another person's perspective for how they imagined a scene and just being like, Oh, that's so cool. I thought of it like this. And then like just piggybacking off each other to build the puzzle of, I guess what had actually happened, quote unquote. Um, that was always like one of my favorite things to do.
3: Maybe that's why I want brain recordings. Cause I can't actually remember what happens.
1: <laughs> I think brain recordings, I don't know. Like ten, fifteen years, I think we'll be there. Uh, I guess we should get back to this Kickstarter. I
0: guess. Sorry, uh, sorry, that was me. I d de- I derailed. Uh, no, no, it's okay. Like, <laughs> you're like you're like yeah. But I was running these
1: online games, and I was like, jeez, uh, like,
0: I'm telling you, I'm I'm, I'm an I'm, ev- I'm an inveterate, it. you know, derailer. I'm you know I'm really kind of anarchistic in conversations that go places that no one expects, including myself. It's all right. Do you want to talk a little bit about your tiers for pledging or, um, the different stretch goals that you guys have lined up? Sure. We can, we can do that. The, um, uh, a lot of the tiers are now gone. Um, Mm -hmm. we, because there's a, there's a collector box in it that looks an awful lot like the old wood grain box. And then we've got a much more modern one where, um, it's not, uh, it's not a sticker on the box. It's actually printed on the box. Um, so there's there's one that's, that's very retro and one that's more modern. But the, the, the collector's one is limited to the 500 that we order. And then there's also a printer overrun um, that we'll have. So there'll probably be another 25 copies or so. Um, there
1: are currently
0: 92 at the time of this recording left out of that 500. Yep. Well, we only actually sold 450 on the Kickstarter because we got to have some left over if um, if, they're, if some are damaged or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the copies that go to the people in the company and so forth. So, they're, you know, that's what's left out of 450. But, yeah, they went very, very fast. And, you know, they'll obviously all be gone by the end of the Kickstarter. Um, but that also ne- – so um, that necessitated some odd – things in the tiers because for example if you're offering them in one tier um you have to reserve the ones that are going into that one tier you can't just shift around how many are going to be available in the tiers later on because on kickstarter once one person has pledged to a tier it's locked in um hmm. which is to stop people you know you pay for something with a credit card and then you, they change what it is you're getting um but uh so the there are several tiers that are gone and we also did an early bird tier for the first 24 hours of it and of course those are gone as well um, so now we are pretty much at um, the the regular retail boxes um, there are many fewer tiers sur- surviving in that we have um, so but we've we've kept it down for simplicity's sake um, which is important not only to Kickstarter backers but when you start filling up shipping boxes you want to have you know the simpler the fewer things that you might or might not have to put into that box the fewer errors that you're going to have and so we've basically got we've got the wood grain box we've got the um the regular box and we've got a set of extras and the extras pack contains a lot more new stuff because the the box sets really are just the same text um in a new um layout and with new art but that one contains um It does contain monsters, which will be repetitive of the monstrosities book, but that's been out of print for quite a while now and won't ever get reprinted because it was done back in a time when paper was at a really low price. Um, and it would be too expensive to reprint now. So there's, there's going to be a selection of stuff from monstrosities in a supplement. It'll be the first supplement, um, like I was talking about with the house rules and so on. Um, and it's called more monsters. And I spelled it when I was, I was su- su- really excited about the idea of this when We were planning it. And so when I wrote the message about what I wanted to call it, I spelled more M O A R all caps. <laughs> and that, yes. That actually carried forward. That is the name of it. Now is the more is M O A R. And uh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you, and and then there's uh, so there's that there's a DM screen. DM screen is not eight and a half inches tall. It's one of the lower ones, which I've come to like over the years because you can see what's going on at the table a lot more easily than you can. Um, So we went with one, and it's very long um, as well because it is nice to have more space on the inside than a a three-panel, you know, eight eight and a half inch wide. I've Uh, never
1: understood how people can operate with three panel screens. Uh, it it baffles me. I don't understand it. Like, I've always had, you know, four or five panel screens. And then since 2011, I've almost used exclusively Landscape. Well, screens, back in cause...
0: the day de- back in the day we had three panel screens and we like i know <laughs> <laughs> it's, i mean that's all you guys had you know yeah <laughs> so anyway the you know the the so it's it's a dm screen uh it's a monster book and it is a module called baron's gambit that i've got blocked out in terms of um what it's going to do and i've got the map and so on and so forth so all this left is sort of filling in the outline with the words and i know what all happens in it i was in a chat room and i was like okay anybody want spoilers and there's a big chorus of no 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 don't want spoilers so i won't give spoilers out (laughs) oh
1: man i want spoilers i personally love spoilers
0: you want spoilers on it i want spoilers yeah okay um you're in a small town called cat's cradle you're summoned and here i'm just reading the start of the adventure because i write i usually write introductions and backgrounds and starts before i really get into the thing so you're in the small town of cat's cradle and you're summoned um before the uh the 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 lord of the town who offers you employment in his service for a small task. He's been planning to develop a small village near the border of his domain with a small castle, a ferry across the river, and a road that's going to connect this one to um, a town that is in the territory of the next baron over. But he sent out the uh, the surveyors for it, and then he did the survey, um, and then he sent out uh, a bunch of the construction supplies along with three men-at-arms. And the men-at-arms, um, suddenly all three of them are killed Uh, And it's in some strange fashion and the supplies were destroyed or looted. And so the Baron wants to know if any of the villagers are responsible and if not, who is. And the players are assigned to basically, you know, handle it, find out what was going on, fix everything. And he's going to be there in three weeks for the start of the construction. And um, so that's that's sort of the beginning that you get. But then it turns into something that's very different from what they are going to assume from that. Cause you're going to assume that this is just bandits sort of attacking the situation and that you've got, you know, your standard um, hunt them down and kill them kind of thing. But it turns out and, and you really want to hear the spoilers. Is that right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so here's what, what actually is happening. There's an old ruined temple there, which the players don't hear about in the initial briefing from, you know, a distance away. Um, and, and a you know, they've only got a little bit of information. So there's a ruined temple out there and um, well, okay. So what the temple has underneath it is it's got a cellar level. And then underneath it, it's got um, an area where there's the, the, a, a river runs through it and they had built a mill wheel there and they created this really, really awesome statuary there. And the way it was done was with a couple of minor earth elementals that had been gifted to the temple at some point in the past. And so what's happened is that this scholar found out about it. He got himself a scroll um, that that had um, a, a, a a control minor, minor elemental sort of spell on it. And it's got command words in the middle of it. And it's got this nice little border of sort of shifting magical text. And this guy's not a magic user. So he goes in and he tries to cast his spell on the thing. And what he didn't realize was that it's not just something you can read aloud. The magical script around it is actually the the activating portion of the thing but he didn't use a read magic spell. So the, the characters at some point are going to come across this dead guy um, and he's going to have this scroll. And hopefully they figure out that this is magical script that they're going to need to cast a spell to read. Otherwise they're in trouble. And um, so one of the villagers knew that the guy was there And the players are going there and they're going to sort of do some sort of investigation of the villagers because I'm specifically saying in the thing that he wants to find out if any of the villagers are responsible. So this guy's hiding something that he knew that this guy was here and he's actually got the papers that this person brought with him, which is where, except for the scroll, which is down in the dungeon, there are going to be some clues um, about what all was going on in there. And I haven't really figured out all of those clues yet. Um, But so what they're facing so they, they go and they look at the dead people, right? Why didn't it kill anybody before that? Well, because nobody's walking around dressed in metal up until the the guards arrive. And so they go in there with a whole bunch of shovels and picks and things like that, and they're all wearing metal, and it attracts the uh, the elemental, which during one, one of the things they're going to realize when they go into the dungeon is there's no metal left in the place. There are places that are gouged out of the stone, but all of the doors are just lying around you know, with the latches removed and things like that, which may give them a, a clue that there's something here that's different from bandits. And so that's going to be the, the, the general combination of the clues and things that are in there. And um, so that's, that's the background of the thing. And like I said, I haven't, um, I haven't written down all the details yet, but um, there's some cool stuff. Cause there's, there's two ways of getting in. One of them's through a shaft that had a winch that drew b- pulled stuff up from the secret dock. Um, and then the, the other thing is it's designed Their Part of their reward is that they get a little plot of land. And so if they work it right and they're able to control the elementals, then they can not only build their own house with the elementals building it really quickly, but the Baron is going to buy the, the, these, um, now controlled, assuming that they managed it, uh, these, no, these controlled elementals and that will allow him to develop his little castle bridge, um, set up very very quickly and so what i want to do is have this module and then have a little source book um for that that'll come out the the page restriction is going to keep it from being in this thing but a little tiny source book that's simply a setting of here's what this village looks like only five months later as a result of this very rapid construction and the baron bringing in uh, all of these workers and trying to set up a trading post where now you've got an actual player base in this little tiny town that's built been built up in, incredibly quickly um, as a result of the Barons trying to develop that area, which is why it's called Baron's Gambit. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. There's the sort of beginning outline set of spoilers on it.
3: So I was going oh, to go ahead and ask, um, I feel like we kind of skipped over it a little bit, but can you tell us about the different books that come in the box?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, one of them is going to be the player book, and that's going to include the character craft's class creation and how to play which is a fairly short section in swords and wizardry how to play and then um that's one book and then we're going to have the spell books for the various classes in a second book for to make it easier for people to refer to spells because that um you know the character class stuff and the how to play is really pretty much not used once things get started but the uh but the spells are and so that'll give them something that's um got all the information that they're using at the time concentrated in one place. I then- I like the idea of of separating out the
1: spells under their own book. I think that's always a very handy resource
0: to have. Yeah, I mean that's the, the the thinking behind it. We we always have big wars about whether we're going to list the spells by level or list them alphabetically, and I always go for alphabetical because I'm a DM, so I have to look up. I like to look up stuff without having to remember what level it is. So then, uh, and then there's the obligatory Book of Monsters. Obviously, mm-hmm. that all fits conceptually into one book, um, and then the last one is the obligatory referee's book, which is also one of the larger sections in there because O D D had the aerial combat and the siege combat and that kind of stuff. Boat that combat. We, yep, exactly. So there's those, so that's the division of the four books. And, um, I mean, I think we've got them, um, it, it does, it is going to cause some difference in the lengths of the book, but I think we've got them conceptually divided in a way that's going to be the most useful for people so that they, um, will, will only, except for the DM, um, who's got both his monster book and his referee book, um, I think it's going to lead to people only really having to have one book in front of them. um, And that it will also be easier to, it'll be easier for a new player to assimilate things in bite-sized chunks, a small Mm -hmm. book at a time. Um, I think swords and wizardry has always been pretty accessible to new players, but um, there are always ways to, you know, people like to get their information in small chunks and not to be intimidated by, um, you know, Books with lots and lots of pages in them, and if you if you hand somebody something that's clearly pretty much a booklet, um, then there there's going to be more willingness to to dig into that and be willing to read it. So I, you know, it's it's directed toward that as well. Hmm. I want to ask something about the campaign
1: because um, I know this is. Essentially, to replenish the stock of Swords and Wizardry books with the campaign, uh, is it going to be a a one to one backer to production rate? So right now, you guys have seven hundred and fifteen backers. Uh, is that the amount of books you're going to produce? Is that going to be roughly equal, or are you using this to print uh, a backstock
0: as well to be able to sell in the future? We're using it to produce a backstock okay so this will be so for a while i mean the 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 pdf of the complete rule book is free mm-hmm. to anybody and so it will continue to be available for people who want to grab a copy of what the entire book is um although it won't be printed there but for uh, for our, the foreseeable future when you're buying swords and wizardry complete that'll be a box and then when we run out of the boxes uh we'll either make more boxes or we'll go to a book We'll try and do something different because otherwise you're really just selling people the same thing over and over again, which kind of sucks. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely going to hold on to an inventory afterwards. Matt, aside from uh, the Kickstarter,
1: is there anything else you'd
0: like to plug? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible salesperson, and I don't try and uh, – uh, you know one, one of the things you know going back to the early OSR I think a lot of the people tell you is you know I, I, I don't market or sugarcoat anything it's like whenever when people um, you know even in this one people are, have asked you know well what's 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 new in the content of these and I'm like nothing <laughs> it's the same words, you know, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing uh, you know, relay out and that's really important to a lot of people and it's digest size, which is important to a lot of people. But, you know, I'll flat out say, look, you know, right now, uh, if, if what you're looking for is game content, um, your best bang for the buck is probably buy yourself one of the existing books while we still got them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you like a box set and you like the new art, um, and you want the dice that are in there. um you know and and the physical trappings that are involved in a box set, then by all means, you know, grab the box set because people, you know, once again, people love boxes. but if you're if you're <laughs> strictly looking at the rules, uh, you know, you can pay um, what is it thirty five, thirty bucks for the for the rule book, and it's got an a, you know, an awesome arrow Lotus cover on it, and that's probably still your best, you know, uh, content for the dollar kind of a thing with it. So I mean, not to take sales away from you and Bill, but like it's free. You just print it out at Kinkos, right? No, exactly, and that's you know one. Of, and that's <laughs> becoming really, really important actually nowadays because the shipping costs on things mm-hmm. are really. You know, I I had a I a, was a exchange of messages because we're probably going to put a, a digital. Mm-hmm. um tier into this because i was talking with uh rafael beltram who's a friend of mine from brazil who does uh, he's he's really into the osr community in brazil which there's a thriving osr yeah there is in brazil and um you know, he was saying, wow, this box set is excellent. We're trying to, you know, put some money together to get one shipped, but you know, we're, we're trying to find the, the alternative to it. And, and it was kind of like, you know, in the States, of course, you forget about what's the effect of all this extra expense that's being shipped out for the people who are getting it. And having stuff shipped from the U S is more and more becoming a wealthy person's game in a lot of these countries. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's 60, 70 pounds to ship something to the U to the UK. And, um, <sighs> So what a lot of people are doing, um, and, and we've always allowed this from frog God is that if you get a PDF, you know, you can print it for your own purposes. So they're going to, um, I, I think there are, I think you have to use print shops in Brazil because I think you're actually, you have to print it in Brazil. Um, but there might be at Lulu outlets and stuff like that there, but they're, um, they're using the print-on-demand services, uploading the PDF, getting themselves back a bound book, and that way you get around the enormous shipping costs. So we want to encourage the game. Um, you know, it, it's it's about much, much more than profit. Um, if it were about profit, we wouldn't be doing RPG publishing in the first place. We'd be doing <laughs> yeah. something else. Um, but you know we're we're yeah. we're about making the game available to people. That's why our PDF of the game is free, and um, and it's it's why we have you know no problem with people doing the printout, um, you know in a in a country where they got digital delivery to do it. We've always been in favor of that.
1: And I mean you know you guys are still supporting the game. You're still selling copies, even even at offering it to at no cost. And aside from printing, people people want to play this game. Uh, obviously, you know, since I've since we've been recording, you, you guys have <laughs> you guys have gotten four hundred more dollars.
0: How, how much did we did we pull You're in? Fifty two, six twenty four. We were bringing in a thousand. We were bringing in a thousand dollars an hour during during the very beginning of the thing. Like I said, it was un, it was it was wild. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. There's been a little
1: bit of slowdown, but I mean, there's still. A month to go. So uh, and there will be a link in the show notes to the Kickstarter. Uh, of course no, and we'll they're also will. share. No, there <laughs> will in this <laughs> into instance. Into the shared, into the show notes. Not Into the, in the, the show shit. notes. That's where we put all the stuff that we don't want to be bothered <laughs> Go
3: with. to somebody else's Facebook page and find the link. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the best we can do, guys. That's the best we can do.
1: It's on it's on Liz Stewart's <laughs> timeline. Yeah, but we'll also share it on actually here. Let me do that now. Uh, I'm going to share this, if we haven't already, to our Facebook page. Elizabeth. All right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) We like to keep everything professional around here.
1: The sad part is is that this is not a joke. This is actually (laughs) what I'm doing. (laughs) All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up uh, for for this episode. Uh, again, there's a month left on this Kickstarter. Uh, if you're interested, if you're like me and you love box sets and you love black and white art uh, and landscape DM screens, these are all the things I want. Uh, and booklets that are specifically just spells that you can hand out to your players because they never know what their spells do even though this is the third gosh darn segment in a row Carl where you've forgotten how to cast magic missile so those are always handy tools uh, and I think we're going to call it a nightmare. Matt thank you so much for being on the show we really
0: appreciate it. Yeah thank you for having me on the show I'm of sorry. All, it's about all the, the te- same time. All the technical difficulties that I caused while I was here. <laughs> it's alright we forgive it. I
1: think that'll be it for this episode.
3: Peace out, Cub Scouts.
1: <laughs> the Savor Die podcast is a production of Wild Gains Production and it's produced for entertainment purposes
0: only. The music used in the intro and outro is by tripod and used with permission. Be sure to visit the Savor Die crew at saverdie.info for more information. If you'd like to support this
3: podcast, please go to slash WGP. It's not, it's not